Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Come to you from underneath a peach blossom. It's time for an episode of Be Awesome. Find positivity throughout your life and work. Just like our mascot rooster, Steve the Jerk. Hello, Be Awesome listeners. This is episode 26 of the Be Awesome podcast. I am on the 17th floor at the Hilton on the Main in Norfolk, Virginia, looking out onto the water with a phenomenal friend of mine, an awesome friend of 12 plus years that uh, I just, I had to have on here. And uh, we're having it old school style, which is martinis and meatballs in the morning, which doesn't get any better. And we'll get into that story. But uh, first, I'd like to welcome uh, Jason Taylor to the podcast. T, welcome aboard. Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on here. Um, this is a, this is an awesome opportunity. <laughs> We're going to say know, awesome a couple it, times. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's good to see you and good to be a part of this. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, I'm the guy that leaves my phone on for the start of this thing. So uh, let me shut the buzzer off real quick. But uh, T's got a... Uh, he, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I FaceTimed T, and, and he had a, a T-shirt on, which is how he lives his life, which is the saying of embrace a suck. Lots of people say it. Lots of people wear it. Lots of people write it. Very few people do it, and T is one of those guys. So I'm going to get T to share a little bit of his life, and I think we're going to go with uh, your background. You were a Marine for? 22 years, a little, little more than that, so... Spent 22 years and in, uh, in a few days in the Marine Corps. Joined in 1990 and retired in 2012. So without me peeling off those pieces of your career, walk us through it. Man, walk you through the whole 22 <laughs> walk, years. Walk right us through on. it. Give me, some, give me some highlights. Give me, <laughs> give me, give me, give me, give me the T highlight reel. Let's all right, <laughs> all right. So, uh, you know, it all started uh, obviously well before ever becoming a Marine. Um, just wanting to be a Marine. Grew up in uh, Flint, Michigan. Um, you know, I was a, a city kid most of my life, and uh, but I did spend a lot of time outdoors. So uh, I just had this this feeling that I wanted to be in the military when I was when I was young. So um, obviously uh, making it through high school, and uh, which was a feat in itself. Um, I graduated high school and, and joined the Marine Corps, uh, and that was in uh, in 1990. So I went to. Uh, to boot camp in San Diego. A lot of people say, well, coming from Michigan, shit, you have went to Paris Island, and you always got the big deal between Paris Island and us Hollywood Marines that went to San Diego. But uh, Michigan's kind of divided in the recruiting uh, way of the Marine Corps there. So anyone that, that goes to Detroit MEPS and processes through the city of Detroit and, and in and around Detroit ends up going to Paris Island. Um, everyone else from the rest of the state of Michigan processes through Lansing MEPS and they go um, out to San Diego. It's the whole east-west of the Mississippi River line. Okay. So that's how I ended up going to uh, San Diego for boot camp. Mm-hmm. But uh, So I graduated the Marine Corps, um, at, graduated boot camp, went through uh, Marine combat training, as, uh, as all non-combat MOS guys do. 
And uh, then I went to my uh, first MOS school, which was actually uh, administration. Uh, I was going to be an administrator. I was, had, I was married right out of boot camp, had a, a child that was born when I was in second phase of boot camp. So um, that was my uh, going to be my line of work. Didn't actually work out that way. Got to my first duty station in North Carolina and uh, ended up working more in operations than uh, administration with uh, the 2MEF, 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force there, Camp Lejeune. Uh, did that for uh, about a year and a half and then went to the uh, 24th MU Command Element. And uh, that's where I proceeded to do my deployments uh, out of there on, on Navy ships. And uh, 92 through 94, I did a total of three uh, trips to Somalia during that time. Where Black Hawk Down took place. Yep, that actually happened in uh, 94. That was toward the, in between my, my second and third tours there was when, uh, when that actually happened. But uh, Somalia was a very interesting, uh, very interesting place. Um, I'm sure lots of your, your listeners have read and seen movies and read different stories, but uh, a lot of the stuff that's out there is is true. That was a probably to this day the fighting that we saw in Somalia was probably some of the the worst and most fierce fighting between individuals in the streets mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but it was it was uh, I learned a lot mm-hmm. learned a lot in Somalia, and then uh, after that I uh, came back from my third deployment and. Uh, I was 24 years old, and my welcome home was getting diagnosed with cancer, <laughs> testicular cancer. So uh, I can't remember how long I'd been back, um, maybe a couple weeks to a month or so. I don't remember. It's been so many years what, what month I actually came home from that deployment. But it was toward the end of summer, uh, beginning of fall, and uh, I remember uh, I had a lump uh, on my testicle and didn't think anything of it, didn't hurt. No big deal, you know. It wasn't one of those things I was never taught as a young kid. Hey, you need to, you know, test yourself as a young man to cause, check your nuts. Yeah, check your nuts because <laughs> testicular cancer is this horrible thing. I knew nothing, nothing about it at all. So, uh, so I end up uh, uh, finding that and uh, going to the hospital. And a uh, physician's assistant actually, you know, you go check into the hospital. They put you in a room. Like, all right, the doctor will be right in. And so this uh, physician's assistant comes in and. And uh, she asked me a couple questions, and then she sits down on a stool in front of me, and I'm standing up, and she's like, all right, drop your pants. So I drop my pants, and she checks out the, the lump, and uh, sure enough, she, she's like, okay, I need to uh, go make a, a phone call about this. We need, we need to get in touch with a urologist. Um, unfortunately, the Naval Hospital at Camp Lejeune then uh, wasn't a very big hospital, didn't have a, a huge staff, and they had one urologist at the time, unlike other hospitals that have urology clinics, you know, or mm-hmm. entire entire floors that are dedicated to uh, to um, urology or different type clinics. So uh, she uh, comes back in, and she's like, well, we can't get a hold of the urologist here in, in, uh, in Camp Lejeune area in Jacksonville, but she goes, can you drive to Portsmouth Naval Hospital tomorrow? And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> But what for? She's like, well, you need to get this checked out. This is very important. So then I start thinking. Years start turning, and I'm like, all right, something something may be going on here, but whatever. I still didn't think anything of it. It was no pain, nothing. You know, it didn't stop me from doing anything, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the next day, I'm like, all right, whatever. We'll, we'll go to the hospital. So my, my wife at the time and I drive up to the Portsmouth Naval Hospital the next day, and uh, we go in. And, and up here in, in Portsmouth, actually, I'm looking at the actual hospital right uh, across the, the water yep. here 
And uh, up here, it's a the Naval Hospital is a large hospital, and uh, they had an entire floor dedicated to urology at, at the, the hospital here. So I get up there, and I think it was on the seventh floor. I don't remember back then, but I remember it was up high in the hospital because sitting in the waiting room, I could look out the window and see across the, the bay there. And uh, so we get the appointment and uh, go in, and I sit down in front of a desk of a Navy captain, and uh, he's a, a doctor there in the urology clinic, and He's asking me a few questions. He does a physical examination, and then he calls in uh, a nurse who comes in with an ultrasound machine, like when you do an ultrasound on your wife when she's pregnant to check on the baby. And so they do an ultrasound on the on the testicle there and, and on the lump, and you can see it plain as day on the screen that there is a mass there, a small mm -hmm. small mass and, and lump. And no sooner do they see that, and the doctor looks over at the nurse and says, "All right, can you uh, go downstairs and prep the OR, please? I need to have a discussion with." Corporal Taylor here. <laughs> so uh, now I'm really getting worried. I hear him talk about prepping for surgery, so uh, I still wasn't sure if that was. This is literally hours. This is yeah. Like, this is this is within an hour of me checking in for that appointment. You know, he's like, we yeah. need to prep the OR. So she goes out, closes the door. Doctor closes the door, and, and he turns around, and looks at me, and he's like, "Hey, um, this is something really serious. All right." He's like, I'm not trying to scare you, but testicular cancer, uh, the way he kind of explained it to me, there are two types. There's a fast mover and a slow mover, but we won't know what kind it is or if it's just even benign until we remove the testicle and, and send it to a lab and test. test it and do the test and confirm what it is that, that we got. So either way out of this, you're losing the nut. Did they give you a chance <laughs> to say goodbye? No. No. You, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so needless to say, I'm, I'm there and I'm like, holy cow, man. I'm, I'm thinking about everything. I'm like, I could have cancer. Still don't know. It's still not completely yeah. confirmed yet or not. So I, uh, I go an hour later, I'm on the gurney. I remember them. Uh, I remember being outside of the OR, um, them explaining something to my wife and then they put her up in the Fisher house or one of those houses for family there. Yeah. Uh, and then they, I remember them wheeling me in under, I saw all these different lights above me on the, in the operating room. And I remember the anesthesiologist putting the mask over my face and telling me to take three deep breaths. And I only ever remembered one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I took one deep breath and the next thing I woke up in the recovery and, and ripping my, my blankets and clothes off to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Anyways, the, the, so I ended up going through the surgery. Surgery was successful, um, and then uh, and then I went home and waited for the results. I think we, uh, I don't remember how, if it was in the next couple of days or, or whatnot, but I remember coming back up to talk to the doctor about what we do next. Mm -hmm. And so they did send it off to the lab, and they did confirm that it was uh, it was the fast-moving cancer. I, and I, I can't remember the name of it, but... Well, I mean, you're a fast-moving guy. I mean, it only seems... Absolutely. Fitting. If you're going to do something, you're going to do it big. You're going to do it fast. Yeah. You're going to do... Yeah. I, I mean, say it all the you, time. Go big or go home. Yeah, Doc, Doc <laughs> save, save the test money. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yep, it's a fast <laughs> mover. It's going to kill me. <laughs> so uh, it, it was. It was the it was the worst-case scenario for the kind of cancer that you could have, uh, testicular cancer. And... Um, and so we needed to figure out what, what we do next. So now that they've got that confirmed, we know that we have a, still have a potential problem. So even by removing the, the testicle and how they do that, they don't just uh, remove just the testicle. They actually cut you, make a three to four inch incision in your groin area. 
yeah. uh, just under your abdomen, and they cut the cord and they, they remove the testicle that way. So they, they get a, a lot of the cord that, that's connected to it as well. Um, and the reason for that is it, testicular cancer, the way it spreads through the body is it can starts in the testicle, it moves up that cord, it gets to your lymph nodes, and now it can spread anywhere in your body. Yeah, you told me, like, that fast mover, if it's not addressed quickly, I mean, it just... Yes, yes. So there there was another uh, Marine at the time that I had my operation who, uh, I don't know his story, don't know his name, but the doctor was telling me that he apparently did not uh, come quickly to get that investigated and checked out. And they estimated by the time he did come to the medical facility, it had probably been about seven to eight months mm-hmm. uh, since it, it had, had started growing and, and he had tumors throughout his torso oh, and, and things like that. And and I don't believe he, he made it through. Yeah. He survived through that. Once it got there and he had so many tumors, there wasn't much that, that they could do. This is still 1994. This is 94. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so... Go back, and the next thing to do is uh, once you have testicular cancer and you get the testicle removed, is they want to do what's called a lymph node dissection, and uh, and that scared the crap out of me when they explained to me what that was. I mean, they pretty much gut you stem to stern, remove your stomach, set it on your chest, and they cut your lymph nodes out, send those off to the lab to ensure that the cancer did or did not. You know, it's to confirm or deny whether the cancer has spread to your lymph nodes because once it gets to your lymph nodes, it, it changes their courses of action on what they could they can do with you. So um, I adamantly did not want to have that done. Um, I, for some reason, I don't know why, maybe just the, that it was probably going to be the biggest surgery. I'd just gone through my first surgery mm-hmm. in my life, and now they wanted me to have another one. You know, and I looked into things like recovery times and all of that. And it was just a lymph node dissection to me was scary, even though they're telling me that it's a common, common practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, I, I gave in between uh, the doctors and my wife at the time and everybody, you know, want me to have it done. I finally gave in to have it, having it done. And I come back up to the hospital, get it scheduled. And um, I'm up here the night before being prepped for surgery. Surgery was going to be the following day, doing all my prep stuff. And in my blood work, they uh, they took some samples of blood, went to check my blood work one last time. Um, and it was kind of in the evening, early evening that day. And uh, the doctor looks at the paperwork and he comes in. He's like, all right, we've got a problem. I'm like, great, well, it's a bigger problem than the fact that <laughs> I've got cancer. Like, what's going on? Um, so he said that it looks like my T-cell count had shot through the roof, you know, yep. his words, um, that it, it was very high, which made them think that the cancer had already spread, possibly gotten my lymph nodes and was already spreading through my, my body. So they canceled the surgery, they immediately uh, canceled the operation for the following day, and they, they had a, uh, another doctor come up who was a chemo and radiation specialist to come talk to me in the room and, and address the, the next course of action that we were going to have to take with the cancer. So that doctor comes up and, and we're having a conversation. And he asked me had I changed anything in my lifestyle, had any lifestyle changes, you know, in the past three weeks to a month or whatever. And, and I didn't, you know, I hadn't changed the way I ate or, you know, food wasn't on any diets yet. This was all still new to me. I was trying to figure out what, what do I do next? And uh, so he asked, um, he said, what about working out physical activity? Have you done anything physical? I said, well, yeah, my, my incision in my, uh, in my lower abdomen is healed. So I've started working out again. I mean, that's part of your job as a Marine. You gotta <laughs> I was going to say, I'm a Marine, dude. What do you, you think? Know, yeah. <laughs> I'm back in the gym lifting. And he kind of gets this funny look on his face. And he's like, all right, I'm going to take some more blood and check something else. So they take a couple more vials of blood. He goes down to the lab, runs his tests, and he comes back in smiling, like almost laughing. And he's like, well, I got good news for you. 
You know, a couple good things. He's like, you're not dying. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, uh, he says, um, the, the T-cell count, or what was mistaken as your T-cell count being high, is a, an enzyme or something of that nature that your muscle produces when you, when you start doing physical activity again after you have it for, yeah. for a while. And uh, I don't know if it was a, uh, a lesser trained uh, lab technician or what, but somebody had mistaken those enzymes for T-cells and thought my T-cell count was, was through the roof. And so uh, I was glad to hear that it wasn't. Um, I was glad to hear that that lymph node dissection <laughs> still got canceled and was off the table. Um, so they they told me then at that point, the, I slept that night, came back in the next day for a consultation with my regular doctor. And he's like, all right, here's our new plan. This is what we're going to do. We know you don't want to have the lymph node dissection. Um, you seem to be clear. No, Your T-cell count is absolutely normal. But here, So here's what we'll, we'll do. We will, we will agree to you coming up here to the hospital once a month for the next three years and getting blood work done, chest x-rays, and, and a, uh, a um, CAT scan mm-hmm. to ensure that you know, your T-cell count stays normal and, and we don't find anything else that's, that's uh, growing or, or getting larger inside you, the cancer hasn't spread. So that was, my, uh, that, that was, that was an awesome, awesome thing. So I, I opted for that. So once a month I came back up here to the hospital, chest x-rays, CAT scan, and blood work every month. And uh, it, it was a little, uh, a little eerie sometimes, you know, like in reference to embracing the suck. <laughs> you know, that, it's a long drive from Camp Lejeune up here. Oh, I can imagine. You know, it was like four hours back then. There weren't all the bypasses or any of that. So you got a lot of time to think when you're coming up to these appointments and every time you get done, you go and you drive back home and then you're just waiting for that phone call, yeah. you know, with them to tell you that, Oh, it, it came back. Cause they all, all the doctors, what if this, what if this appointment is different exactly, or what if, yeah, exactly. Cause they tell you, at least in my case, they told me that it, there is a good chance of it coming back later on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and if it does, it'll probably be even more aggressive. You know, that was, that was the information that they would pass. So, um, so I did, I always worried about, about that. So for that three years um, that I did the once a month, you know, I, uh, a lot of things changed uh, mm-hmm. for me in, in my life. I did start making some changes and uh, I tried to eat a little healthier. I worked out even harder, you know, tried to stay in even better shape than I was and just remain as healthy as I could, just in case there came a time that that, yeah. that ever came back. You know, because I, I saw my, my grandmother, my dad's mom, uh, when I was a kid, she, she died of cancer. And mm-hmm. I remember... Uh, the little bits I do remember seeing her going through the radiation and the chemo and and all that and that's man that that's just hard you know yeah. I wouldn't wish that on anybody that's yeah. a tough life to live for for cancer survivors and people that are trying to beat cancer yep and uh, and it sucks so well there's something to be said about cancer sucks campaigns yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah absolutely. but and not to not to segue at all but um, I'm sure some listeners are thinking well you got one of your testicles removed. What was the likelihood of, of having more kids? You had your daughter at that point in time. <laughs> That's right. So I had my daughter. She was born when I was in boot camp in 1990. And uh, after that, uh, in 95, I had my first son. So this was after my, my yeah. cancer. Uh, Christian was born. Um, so I realized at that point, didn't, you know, wasn't sure if we could have kids, but we yep. did. And, uh, and we uh, had, had a boy. So... Uh, that was good to go. Yeah. <laughs> Everything and then was, you had a couple more uh, after that. In. All so, boys. 
So another marriage later and two more children, and I've got two more boys. Yep. So it seems that they took the girl-producing testicle yep. out and left the, the boy producing. I don't know if there's science behind that. <laughs> I don't we'll, either. But we'll, but we'll go ahead and just we'll, say. We'll just, we'll just throw just that say, out there. T-science. They took, they took the girl testicle out, and it was all boys That's after it. that. I don't know if there's some correlation there between testicles, but. Uh, Still full-time Marine through all this. Yeah, yeah, still, still active duty. So, so during the three years of the once a month uh, trips, and then for two years after the once a month, I had to go once every three months mm-hmm. for for so for a total of five years of of surveillance is what they they call it on you. Um, they made me non deployable, so I couldn't deploy anywhere. I couldn't I couldn't be in a unit that deployed. So, um, I was actually working at uh, schools battalion uh, over on Camp Johnson, and I was a, a sergeant over there and, and an administrator, and. Uh, yeah, I worked there and it ended up other guys came through the unit that I had deployed with to Somalia, things like that. One of the first sergeants I worked for at one time was we were in Somalia at the same time together. And uh, so it was, uh, I mean, obviously for a Marine, it's not the ideal thing. You don't want to be non-deployable. You know, my whole thing about the Marine, being a Marine was I wanted to see the world. Yeah. You know, so it was time to start thinking about, OK, we're, it looks like we're going to we're almost out of the weeds with this. What are we going to do next? You know, I wanted to, to do something and get back into Get back into the service and, and doing things and deploying. So um, I started looking into new jobs because I knew the the current job that I was doing wasn't wasn't cutting it for yep. me. Um, so there were a lot of things I, I looked into. I uh, looked into um, uh, taking the NDOC again and going to trying to become a recon marine. And I looked at counter uh, intel and I looked at EOD. And um, at that time. Uh, I ended up taking the NDOC for, uh, or the, the, the screening for counterintelligence, which was something I, I thought would be, you know, pretty cool job. Um, so I took that one and passed, and then I went over to EOD and I took their screening, and, uh, and I passed that. And uh, then I, you know, thought about the, the things and, and what was going on, and, and I thought, man, you know, the, the whole bomb thing, that's something that I, I know nothing about, and I like to learn about things that I know nothing about, you know. That's, what year is that? This is, uh, so when I was screening and looking into it was 90, I was cleared in 97 and starting to look for orders. So in 98, I started my, I did my screening for. So pre 9-11. Yeah, pre 9-11. So I screened for EOD, um, actually ended up doing it with a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Mark Birmingham. And uh, we screened together and both made it. And then uh, after that, it was waiting for school dates to come. That's what we played golf with that time down. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. it is. Yep. Yeah. So uh, uh, Mark and I ended up, he, I got my class date for uh, beginning of 1990, and he was the next class after me. But something happened. Back then, there were only two Marines uh, that got to sit in an in a EOD school class at that time. Um, we were only put two, two Marines per class through. Mm-hmm. And Marines are always put in a joint class where there's, there's Marines, Army, and, and uh, Air Force uh, students. In the Navy, because they were had a throughput so large, they had their own classes that, that were designated as Navy classes. Plus, they have other follow-on courses that they have to take with underwater and, mm-hmm. and area eight. So, uh, Mark and I were going one class behind the other, and then something happened with the West Coast guy that was supposed to be in my class, and he didn't make it um, for whatever reason. He got cut at the last minute at the unit level and didn't get to go to school. So that bumped Mark up, and we ended up going classing up together in school and going through school together. So, uh, so yeah, so I went through school in 1990 and, uh, 99, 90. or, uh, yeah, 99, sorry. Yeah, 1999. Yeah. Martinis and meatballs are really starting yeah, yeah. to kick in. 
<laughs> I just took a refill. This stuff is good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yes, ninety nine. Which 99. we're eating meatballs with with coffee stirrers. That's we yeah. don't have any forks. We've got a phenomenal plate of meatballs, and we've got and, coffee and stirrers. It looks like popsicle sticks. No uh, silverware. In this yeah, joint. yeah, we don't need. Yeah, nice sweet. No silver silverware. <laughs> That's our fault. So uh, so let, let's 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 take a step back and. Um, so 99, we're in EOD, but you said about non-deployable and, and how you want to be deployed. And I, I want to put this into perspective because, I, you know, you've shared with me and I've known this for some time. So let me, you ever been to Haiti? <laughs> Many times. <laughs> okay. So you've been to Haiti, deployed to Haiti. You've been deployed to Somalia. You were deployed to Somalia three times before you were even 25 yeah. years old. Uh, you've been to Iraq. Once or twice, a couple times that, that we know about. Um, how about Beirut? Tell the Beirut. Tell the, share, share, you've been to Beirut? Yeah, I'm going to get into the Beirut story because that ties right into the martinis and meatballs. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yes, I have been to, uh, to Beirut. So, um, late in my career as an EOD tech, uh, I had spent about nine years at this point at the second EOD company. Um, it's one of those things where if you stay deployed at the company, sometimes you can, you can call it hiding there. But you're actually, you're there, you're deploying, and that's yeah. why you, you want to stay there. So it was, I was due for orders. It was time for me to, to move to another place. Um, I got a call from our, uh, one of our Ockfield sponsors up at Headquarters Marine Corps who said they were standing up a new unit in Virginia Beach, and he thought I was the, the guy to take the EOD position that was there. Um, at the time, there was one slot for an EOD tech there, and, uh, and it was a, a gunny um, billet. So I didn't know anything about it. I asked him, I was like, hey, so what's this unit about? And he's like, hey, you, you'll have to call up there. So it ended up being the Marine Corps Training and Advisory Group. So it's uh, like a foreign military advisor is what you are. And, and they stood this unit up. And I got to that unit. Um, I held three billets there, the ops chief, the EOD chief, and the chief instructor for the, the training cell there. And uh, a mission came up for Beirut, Lebanon. And it was interesting because Marines haven't been in Beirut since the bombing mm -hmm. in, in the 80s. And uh, they never protected the embassy after that. After that bombing, the Marines left, and the embassy has been protected by, uh, by Lebanese uh, security people uh, there ever since. So it was interesting to me because of the history. You know, I had read a lot about Beirut uh, history and the bombing and, and all of that, and it was the first opportunity that Marines were going to get to go back into Beirut, and it was actually on the 25th anniversary of the bombing of the, the barracks there. So, um, which, mind you, when you get there, the barracks that were bombed are still still there. So the, the barracks were in another location in the embassy, but on the embassy compound itself, there are buildings and houses that were there that were bombed back then, and they still are not rebuilt to this day. Wow. Um, and it is still a, uh, a restricted duty station for State Department folks where they don't bring their family to that location. You, you kind of go there wow. solo. So it's an unaccompanied uh, duty. But, so yes, I did, um, I did go to Beirut and, uh, and start some projects there. And uh, it was very, very interesting. And, and it was myself and one other uh, uh, person, my boss. Uh, he was um, Major Wolfenbarger at the time. He was now a Lieutenant Colonel. And... Uh, Probably going to be a colonel here pretty soon, and, and uh, a MARSOC officer. Um, so yeah, he and I went there together, and it was a very interesting time. Yeah, my uh, my Beirut story is where the martinis and meatballs kicked in, and 
And like it's telling you, Amy and I were talking about this because I was getting ready for today. And I said, you know, I come up with some, you know, I come up with some ridiculous ideas in my head. And, and um, I said, where the hell did I come up with having martinis and meatballs at 8 o'clock in the morning with tea? And Amy said, well, tea came up. And I said, well, what is that? What does that mean? She goes, well, we had a party. And I said, well, of course we did. That's probably why I don't remember why we did martinis and meatballs. And she said, well, I made all these meatballs, and we had them left over from the party. We probably had 50 people at the house, and it was just this big, huge party, and everybody had a great time. And you guys woke up early, and there were only, all that was left to eat was meatballs, and there was vodka left. So you guys had martinis and meatballs. And you walked out from where, where the, the guest bedroom, and the house is a complete mess. And I looked at you, and I said, Jesus, it looks like Beirut in here. And you go, no, Beirut, no. No, I've been to Beirut. Not even close. And that's what I was saying. Man, i got to remember who my friends are because if I make some light joke about something, they've probably been at that place and they know how much worse. No, you, you needed a lot more bullet holes in your walls mm -hmm. to even come close to what Beirut looks yeah, like. Yeah, we got to do some work on the bullet holes on the walls. I don't... Yeah, we don't have, I don't think we have any of those yet. Uh, we've got some other things in the walls from kids running around and yeah. gooey slapping things, but nothing like that. But uh, yeah, so you so you did Beirut, you did Iraq. You you yeah. were... I was in Iraq and uh, I volunteered to be the, the first guy to go from our platoon to go set up the area for the platoon to come. So yeah. me and one of our senior enlisted uh, flew over ahead of everyone else's advance party in 2003 to, uh, to prep for the invasion. Yeah. And then uh, we got the rest of the, the platoon over there in our location. And then we had two Navy units that joined us um, mm -hmm. from two different locations, one East Coast, one West Coast. Um, and uh, they came over and joined us. We broke everybody down into teams. And then we just sat on the border pretty much and waited for the, the go-ahead to, to go through. You know, they started mm -hmm. a little bit of the air war, uh, softened mm -hmm. up some of the targets with the missiles from the ships and the aircraft. And then when they gave us the go-ahead, we blew through the breaches and, and rolled into Iraq. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've been to a whole bunch of, uh, I mean, I asked you, you know, it's countless. And, and, you know, one of the one of the stories that I don't share often, but I'll share here is uh, the night you called me from D.C. Um, you, 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 you and I can't remember the Marine you were with. Young, oh, young jo guy. Joseph France. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You called me about midnight. <laughs> yeah. And you said, hey, Peach, we got a good, strong possibility we're going to be stuck in Boston for the night. <laughs> And I said, I'm on my way yeah. and drove in. I think I picked you up around, God, it was like probably two o'clock in the morning it or something. Yeah, you guys had stayed. a free hotel room if you wanted it. Yep. And you came and stayed with me. Yep. And we, uh, and I think we had martinis oh, and we beers. Did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we brought you back, Dropped brought you back. back and you were going to an undisclosed, loca undisclosed location in Africa, I yep. think is where you Absolutely. were. Uh, we were, uh, we were on our way to Africa for a, uh, an engagement there. And, yeah. uh, Yep. Flights got delayed out of D.C. and back and forth, and we ended up in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got just the guy to call. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got a, I, we got a suite like I got here in Norfolk that we can stay at the Hyatt and not go anywhere, but we're going to get in the car, we're going to go do some drinking, we're going to go hang out. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to wake some folks up and, and have a good time. And uh, and I appreciate you for doing stuff like that. Um I appreciate yeah. you for picking us up. I still keep in touch with Joseph <laughs> France today. He's no longer a Marine, uh, but uh, he's out doing great things out, out west. Um, but he asked me every time I talk to him, he's like, how's Josh <laughs> Give me my number. I'm tell like him to give me a call. Yeah, I'm like, he's yeah. good. He's good. Yeah. No, if he's ever in town, tell him to give me a call. If I'm home, I'll, I'll pick him up. Absolutely. Um, you know, so 
22 years in the Marines, you know, lucky to graduate high school, probably had some challenges. You get, you get told you got to get rid of one of your little guys down downstairs within an hour, he's gone. Um, worries, just I can't even imagine. There's, there's countless different pieces of this last 20 minutes or so that I can't even put myself in your shoes to imagine what I would do. Because, you know, people always say, well, I would do this or you should consider this. You know, all, people always give advice to things that they have no idea about. I have, with you, I have no idea how I would do things. One of the things that I'm inspired by is I don't know how I would do things in that situation, but one of the things is I'd want to be like T in that situation. How do you do it? Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's inherent. Um, I have a, a it, it, I guess it's all about attitude sometimes, you know, and how you look at things. Um, sometimes I look at things negative a lot, you know, I have, I have, I'm like anybody else. I'm, I'm a regular guy with my pants on the same way as anybody else does. Uh, but sometimes you gotta let, you gotta take things into perspective, you know, and, and, uh, somebody told me a long time ago when I was a young Marine. Uh, not to sweat the small shit and it's all small shit and when you think about that and take that into perspective it's such a simple saying but when you think about it and you put that in perspective to the things that you have to deal with in life there's some things that you just can't control and you I mean you can either drive yourself crazy trying to control this thing that you're never ever going to control or you can just try to embrace it you know, and, and say, okay, well, what's the, what is the best outcome that I could get out of this? You know, and don't get me wrong. I'm sitting here telling you this It is much easier said than it is to do. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. But, but sometimes you just got to take that step back and, and say, all right, what do I got to do to deal with this? You know? So I would say, and I dealt with a lot of things in my life, um, childhood all, all the way up, but the cancer that, that one hit me hard. So I definitely was pretty good in controlling my attitude and not uh, not being the woe is me. Like I, I didn't want to, mm-hmm. you know, just feel sorry for myself. Oh, I have cancer, whatever. It's like, okay, I have something that could potentially shorten my lifespan. I got two ways to go with this. I can, I can give up and let it take over everything, or I can have the best life that I can have up until the point that I can no longer have. So that was kind of the the way that I looked at that, you know, and it's, it's kind of the way I try to look at a lot of things in life, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes the smoke and mirrors will get you though. And, and you don't always have the, the best attitude because we are all human. But when, when you sit down and, and take a breath and step back and think about things, just try to put them in perspective and, and, uh, and embrace the suck, like the, the t-shirt. You know, yeah. You saw me Your timing on that couldn't have been any better. I mean, that's <laughs> like, I mean, that's just like, you know, the fact that you and Dave hadn't met in a small community face to face. And I'm like, yeah. let's call T. And of course, you always answer. Yeah. I mean, there hasn't been a time in the last 12 years that I think that you either haven't answered or you haven't called back yeah. within yeah. minutes. And you've been in foreign lands a lot of times. Um, and for you to answer the FaceTime and look and you get the shirts, brace the <laughs> suck. I'm like. So if you ain't wearing a Be Awesome shirt, you might as well be wearing that as a close second. Absolutely. It must absolutely. be laundry day. Yeah, it was. It was laundry day. My Be Awesome shirt was in the, in the laundry, so I was wearing my Embrace the Suck shirt. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, one of the things that I look at people 
uh, when you say don't sweat, and, and, and I got a, I got a given a book, which it doesn't have the word shit probably so it could make bestseller. It's don't, <laughs> yeah. don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. Yeah. Um, exactly. We all screw up with not yep. reminding ourselves of that, myself included, many times, probably three or four times before today will be over. I'll have some small stuff that I won't that I'll that I'll sweat about yeah. before I kick back and stop and re- readjust. Um, do you think you had that mindset? Because do you think the cancer triggered that for you to be a little bit? Do you I don't th- know if it necessarily triggered it. I think it was you know to be honest. I, I think it was some some decent mentorship that I that I had as well. You know, mm-hmm. it, it could be part of the cancer and and a little bit about myself and how yeah. I look at things inherently. But, um, you know, I had some good, good mentorship or leadership throughout my uh, uh, a few points in my childhood. And then definitely as a Marine, you know, you, you, th- there's all kinds of Marines out there. You know, there's some, there's some stellar Marines and there's not so stellar Marines. Everybody's got the full spectrum. But I've been very fortunate to have some people that have uh, imparted some, some knowledge on me and some ways to look at things that have actually helped me. And when I think back on that, it, it helps me out in situations like that. So... You know, as, as a lot of Marines do, uh, I, I ran into some trouble early on in my career and, and uh, didn't come back to base on time. Uh, it's actually like a week later. And so, <laughs> so I was actually Who's uh, UA or AWOL, <laughs> as they call it. Yeah. Um, not intentionally, but I missed a flight. And then, you, you know, you, you go into crisis mode. And, yeah. you know, I didn't make a phone call like I should have. But I flew back and then, you know, stood up and, and Phones were uh, reported in and, and took responsibility for yeah. my actions. And I remember the, the, I was a young PFC at the time, and, uh, and I remember my platoon sergeant pulling me to the side and telling me, he's like, hey, look, you messed up. You made a mistake. If this isn't how you really are, chalk it up, take responsibility for it, and then put it behind you. Yeah. Don't, don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. You know, and, and it's, uh, that's something that, that he told me years ago in the beginning of my military career that stuck with me forever. And even as a father, I've been that way with my kids. When my kids are in trouble, they get their punishment, and then I forget about it. Mm-hmm. I don't dwell on that stuff any longer. It's done. That's done. They did something wrong. They got their punishment. It's over with. And I don't bring it up again. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and I and I try to incorporate things like that in my life. We all make mistakes, but it is, if you accept responsibility for the mistake and press on, you're good. You want to know something? Probably, you said it upstairs. I'm not going to give the example on that. On 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 all the examples. But in multiple times over the years, uh, Clifford said it last week was claim it. But I'm gonna say you own it. Own it. You yeah. you have to be one of the most stand up guys with owning it and with not being worried about the 500 pound elephant and not being afraid to say how it is. Yeah. And you know it's amazing to me how people would they'll hide behind you know as we gave the example hide behind paper or whatever, you stand up, you stand tall, you hold your shoulders up high no matter what the situation is, and you own it. And I think more people need to do that, you know, of, hey, this is what happened. Sucks, it's terrible, I'll address it, I'll make it right, I'll do whatever I can, I'm sorry, here's my explanation. You don't make excuses by it, you don't give justifications for it, you own it, and you move next to it and you're carrying it on in that next legacy. I think that the the mentorship, which is something that's often, I think, missed, is when you're mentored, 
and you appreciate it, it's vital and just imperative that you pay it forward. And you've done that amazingly with people where you're, you're like, I mean, you're in the EOD community, you're like straight legit T, like, I mean, there's posters with your picture on it, right? I mean, like people walk in and like, that's the dude right there, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to be humble about it, but I mean, you have done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, I'm going to share the story at, at this point because I think it's important as, as how this thing's all going. You know, you and I met under very difficult circumstances. Yeah, um, extremely. <laughs> yeah, uh, we became very close very quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, fists will do that. Uh, fists flying and beers will, and, and Jameson will do that. Absolutely. Um, but... You know, you were, you, you were, um, you know, 12 years ago this past Saturday, uh, Amy chose you and requested you to bring home her husband, my friend, and your friend, Bill, who was, who was killed in action in Iraq. And, um, you know, you were a great mentor to, to Bill, and you were a great mentor to, uh, to probably Shane Danielson and to some of the others that that I got to meet at, at Lejeune. Yeah, all great dudes. And you never asked for anything out of it. You just you you just gave what was probably given to you, which was some elder wisdom, some experience of don't show up a week late and miss your flight and not make phone calls. <laughs> Absolutely. And and most importantly, I got your back when that happens as long as you're willing to own it. Yep. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, that's a rarity. Uh, most people forget that third one, you know, because we're all gonna screw up. Yep. And we have such high expectations and we're all human on this thing. So um, I think you I think you've just <clears throat> as a as a human, you've just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Um, and and I appreciate you for it. Uh, you know, I, I know that when I was up on the mountain, uh, ready to die, right? Um, I was there with you in spirit. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, you were like, I would, what I wouldn't do to be there. I'm like, dude, I think I'm going to die right now. And you're like, ah, oh, it's going to be great. You, <clears throat> it could, 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 couldn't, couldn't be any better. Yep. Um, but you were there. Yeah. You know, and and I was thankful that you called me. <laughs> I was thankful, you know. As it was, uh, uh, I called Amy, and uh, and she said, "Is everything all right?" And I literally, I, I, I know it wasn't that bad. My my mind and my head, it was that bad. Um, I did I had no idea how I was going to get down, and I I probably contemplated rolling down, um, rolling down a rocky cliff. Uh, to expedite the the process and uh, and you were just there you're just like just level just calm just hey let's figure out how to do this together sometime you know maybe maybe it'll go a little bit smoother that's, that's um, it. but <clears throat> it's just amazing to me how simple you make it seem it, it's yeah it it seems simple and we can all talk about it that it's simple it really isn't but I can I understand, you know, how people can can think it's simple. Um, but you probably don't look at people <clears throat> and say, "Oh, well, he's got it because he's got this, 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 and this, or he's got this." You don't have like this envy or this or this feeling of 
oh, well, I can't get there because of something that's holding you back because of something someone else has right. or because someone else, you're saying, I'm going to do the best that I can to yep. get to where I can get to. Yeah. I'm not going to stop and I'm going to keep raising my bar. And I mean, you do that every single day. That's all we can do um, is, is get to where we can. And yeah. you can only get so far by yourself, you yeah. know, and then you, you've got to embrace other people, you know, and, and to help you get sometimes yeah. to those final steps. And, and uh, that's not easy for everybody. Well, isn't always easy for me. Like I said, you know, I uh, it sounds when we talk about it, 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 it sounds easy, yeah. but it's not always easy. Well, it's, I mean, it's trust. Yep. Right. It's and it's not just trusting other people. It's trusting yourself that you're trusting Absolutely. other people that are the right people. Yep. You know, because so often people trust. I know I've done it professionally. I know I've trusted a number of people that I probably should do a second take and be like. What the hell was I thinking? And and personally, um, you know, I'm sure I've had that that challenge as well. Um, but that wasn't a lack. That wasn't something on them. That was something on me. Right. That was bad judgment on myself. That was bad, you know, thinking through like I should trust this person. I shouldn't trust this person. You know, what would happen? You know, it's kind of like that thing. Like, you know, a good friend. You know, a good friend will bail you out of jail. A bad, uh, oh no, a, uh, a good friend will bail you out of jail. A great friend will be sitting next to you, going, "Man, didn't that kick? Wasn't that some crazy shit we got into last night?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Oh, I agree with that yeah. wholeheartedly. 100%. Yeah. You know, yes. that's one of those things. It's like you know, um, knowing who's there through that stuff, yeah. and who's going to be there when the dust settles, because someone can be there through that stuff and then just. Yep. See you later. You know. You know that's that's one thing, guys in the in the EOD field, you know, in the Marine Corps. Uh, that's one thing that that we uh, maybe take for granted, but it's a good thing that we have is that that brotherhood. You yeah. And and not just in the EOD field, Marines inherently, you know, in, in every Marine Corps unit, that that unit has a brotherhood mm -hmm. of, of guys that have all been through the same. Uh, they've all embraced the same suck together, you know, yeah. and, and they made it through. And there's there's a million. A billion phenomenal stories out there about that, you know. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's unfortunate that I hear the stories. You know, Bill and I weren't great friends for uh, a long time, but we were great friends. And um, and one of the things that he seemed to do is compartmentalize kind of his relationships. So he had his Marines, and then yeah. he had his family, and then he had he had uh, some others like like myself. I mean, I talked to him. Uh, almost every day for the last year, it seemed like, and uh, through you guys said, yeah. you guys, your son was born what a month before, a month after. Danny, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in that, you know, watching it from the outside, listening to him, and and uh, and then experiencing it through, you know, stuff with you and and Dave and Dan Frawley and. And others, it's just you see that, and you don't see that everywhere. Um, Unfortunately, it, it would be incredible for you guys to put together like a, a program for people that you just gave them the secret sauce, which is <laughs> which is really simple. Which is you know look out look out for each other, yeah, yeah. care about each other, yep. genuinely want to make a difference. No, absolutely, and absolutely, and do the right thing. I mean that there's no secret like you know I sit here and go well, what the hell's the difference between these guys and these guys 
and it's these people care. Yeah. These people are looking out f- for their greater good for everyone, not just for themselves. Yep. They're looking out for what's the benefit as a whole opposed to themselves. And you just don't see that a lot. And I mean, that's kind of a lot of why I started this this whole thing was like, it should be be awesome to each other. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I feel just for me, uh, I get through many of my days with people like you, you know? And it's not that like, it's you know, it's one of those things like, it's not like I can't get through my day without you, you know, but it's, yeah, I, I but it's a huge, you know, there's something to be said about knowing people have your back Absolutely. and for your best interests and to have that, that, you know, you have that for the long run. Yep. And, you know, I try to tell people, you know, pick your friends. And I talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe with Dave. And I think I might've talked about it with, with, um, with, with Clifford last week, which was, um, you know, our CEO talks about, you know, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Choose wisely. And, you know, that's one stand, sticking point with me that carries on, that I look around constantly. I'm doing, you know, uh, I made a joke last week. I said it's never too late to make a, a late late round draft pick or something. Swap somebody out or whatever, right. you know. I might not need more friends, but I might need to make a swap out at some point because... When I look around, someone's not behaving right or looking right or doing right or they're right. And, uh, you know, it's always really easy when, when stuff's going good yeah. for everybody to look good. Yep. And it's and, and that's the hardest part is you don't know what it looks like until it gets ugly. Yeah. You don't know who that what that person's going to be like or act like. But you need to act quick when they're not doing, you know, they're not doing right by you. Um, you know, I'm just amazed at... Uh, you know, I, I thought I, I knew most of what you talked about today, but all of a sudden, like you start talking about this stuff and you're like, yeah, when I was in Beirut or when I was in Somalia or when I was here and I'm sitting here going, I, I went to Rhode Island over the weekend. That was pretty good. <laughs> 17 minutes. Yeah. Were you ever like, so you said you want to travel the world, but like you're not traveling the world to do trip advisor reviews. You're, trip, you're, traveling, the, like, you're traveling the world in, in conflicted areas. True. Do, do you get, did you, did you ever just like, what did that feel like? Like, were you just on a pure adrenaline rush for that whole time you're gone? Like, what is that? Are you scared? Like, do you feel fear? Do you like, what? So you, you feel a bit of, okay, so I can only speak for me. I felt a bit of everything depending on where you go, you know? Any guy that's been to a conflict zone that says he, he never felt fear, yeah, yeah, he's he's full of himself mm-hmm. um, or herself, whatever. But, uh, yes, you, you go, I mean, depending on where you go and what you're involved in, you, you could feel a, a lot of emotions. But I really did want to see the world, you know? Like, I didn't travel a whole lot as a kid. Um, I, I lived, grew up in Michigan my whole childhood. Um, I did travel. We had some family lived in Oklahoma, so... I would occasionally go to Oklahoma to see family and things like that, you know, and I've been to some states around and even Canada, but that's like, I wanted to see them. There's a whole world out here outside mm-hmm. of the United States that most of the people in the United States have no clue about, you know, and, and, and there's a, it's not all about what's right here in the U S yeah, we're the, yeah. In the greatest nation in the, in the world, no doubt, but there's a whole nother world out there 
of people that are living their daily life that never know anything even close to what we have here. So I wanted to see that stuff and experience it for myself. Um, so yeah, I've, I felt uh, constant adrenaline going to new places. You feel anxiety. You go through a whole slew of emotions, especially when you're going somewhere for, for combat. Uh, but um, I, I enjoy going everywhere I've, I've gone, you know, seeing the world, seeing all these different places. I've, I've gotten to go to Israel and, and go to the old city of Jerusalem walk around there a few times and just see all these sites that if you ha if you don't travel to see them, you only see them on TV and it's one is nothing like the other. Right. You know? Being somewhere in person is so much better. Um, I've done missions in Cameroon, Africa, training the Cameroon Marines and, and it's just amazing to be in the jungle with those guys and, and training them to to be better at the job that they're doing, to, to go be successful at their missions and just to meet these people. Um, Liberia was one of my countries, and I've, I've spent countless missions to Liberia. You ask my wife, Millie, mm -hmm. she'll tell you. <laughs> you, know, been, you know, she she probably hates the fact that I, I am, was gone a lot of the time, you know, when I was in the military. But but she always enjoyed hearing the stories and the things, mm -hmm. you know, that when I came back and telling them what I did and, and what I got to do and, and the things that I've seen and the people that I've met that I still keep in touch with to this day. Yeah. You know, it's it's just the world is an amazing place. There's a lot of different stuff out there. Too many people are, I think, are, are scared of being different or seeing different. Yeah. Know? And uh, I wanted to see the world, and I think I pretty much accomplished what I wanted to see. There, Obviously, there's still places I'd like to go see that I, I haven't. But, yeah, what's on your bucket list? Oh, man. <laughs> bucket list. Yeah, I, I mean, what's, what's on T's bucket list? So what's on T's left to see... TripAdvisor? Uh, probably some more of South America, Central and South America. Yeah. You know, I, I'd like to, to do a little more time down there. Um, I had phenomenal Marines that, that worked for me at McTag when I was a foreign military advisor that uh, when I got to bring more EOD guys on, um, mm -hmm. I ended up creating three more billets at that unit, bringing guys on. And I had phenomenal dudes that came on that got to cover a lot of those areas that, that I didn't get to, to see. And hearing them come back, you know, like, like Tim Lynch, hearing him come back from South America and tell the awesome stories of the places he went down there. You know, Central and South America is probably some yes. some more that I'd like to see. Um, but I mean, I've been all over Europe, uh, a lot of the Arab nations, um, and maybe some more of Asia. You know, mm -hmm. but it, it, there's just there's a whole world out there. I'm sure there's places I'd like to see that I don't even know about yet. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, that's yeah, that's the. Uh... <laughs> I think I'd like to go there. I did. Mm -hmm. My mother went to, uh, she does these um, senior tours. She's a Spanish teacher. So she just got back from Panama. Um, she's been in the hospital all week with, uh, with pneumonia. Uh, but she was in these, and she went to this indi these indigenous villages. And she went to the Galapagos Islands last year, uh, which are supposed to be just absolutely gorgeous and amazing. That's, yeah. that, 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 I, that I put on my, my bucket list. I'm one of those people. Um, you know, sadly, between my travel in the States and I'd have to say some of my concern of what I see on the news and what I see out there and some of the stuff that I experienced hearing. Um, I kind of get in my little own bubble when I'm when I have the opportunity. I stay home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I try not to watch a lot of the news that would discourage me from going to some of those places. Oh, man, we cut um, cable off a couple years ago. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. Does it work? <laughs> No, because of the news and, and all that. Yeah, 
What do you watch? I don't. Well, Netflix or. Oh, you got Netflix. <laughs> I got Netflix. Netflix got... or Amazon Prime, man. Watch a movie when you want. There's so many other things to do that. If you get caught up in the news, yeah. Once they hook you with that fish hook, they yeah. got you, and yep. and and it'll it can destroy you. It can destroy your attitude and your your outlook. Dude, you're you are like, uh, God. Amy is like. She's so anti-news with stuff, good which is, her. oh, yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, I don't know. Uh, well, in, in my day job, a lot of stuff happens that's related to my clients and potential clients. And most of the time, it's not good, unfortunately. I wish it was more good. Um, so I try to keep up on that stuff. But yeah. you're absolutely right. You just get caught up, and all of a sudden, you're reading and watching and doing all this stuff. And... Um, well, Clifford last week, the Hampton Inn, he, I don't know if you heard that one. This, this guy was phenomenal. He has been the, the bellman. He calls himself the director of first yeah. impressions for, nice. for the Hampton Inn for the last 15 years. He was in the New York times. So we're getting ready to do the podcast and like 30 seconds beforehand, I'm setting everything up, doing the sound check on the microphone. He goes, you know, I was in the New York times and I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Well, why don't we, what, I mean, I appreciate how great your coffee is. I appreciate all, but could you have maybe opened up with that story so I could have had some more meat and potatoes to understand a little bit about you and how, Absolutely. like, you're, you're, you're the guy as far as I'm concerned, but maybe I should read the article because every, if I, I mean, I feel stupid. Yeah. I'm talking about Clifford. Everybody's like, well, you know, he's on the New York Times. He's on the front cover and three pages. Of I'm like, holy, but I literally got done with him. And the podcast, and I'm walking out. I had a cup of his coffee. It was delicious. I'm like, well, I got to read this article. And I start read the article, and then all of a sudden I'm in the New York Times. So then I start reading the other articles. And they ain't good like Clifford's article, yeah. right? With one good article, you see 100 bad ones, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, people ask me um, about, you know, paddling the pumpkin, and I had a couple of reasons why I, I, I attempted that pumpkin paddle awesome. nonsense yeah well that that yeah and, and it was like you know you do it once you, your friend makes it and you don't and then he says let's do it again and he double in a quarter of the distance and you go yeah sure what the hell why not and one of the newspapers and, I, and I'm glad that he made it both times and I got to make it once but at the end of the day um when I got the, the, when the reporter, when a reporter asked me about, you know, why did I do it? I said, well, it was to support my friend Todd and I just thought it'd be cool. And I wanted to be a part of a story that was positive because the news is so negative. And you're absolutely right. Um, and and it, it affects my attitude, hands down. My CEO, I remember in the recession, worst recession in history, um, I went through and I said, hey, stocks are down, you know, retirements are off. But the house has gone down in, in, in value by 40%. Oil is this, da, 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 all these things. And he said, well, are you going to move? I said, no, I love my house. You're going to get out of it? You're going to retire early? No, I've got 30 more years. He went through this whole thing. And he said, uh, stop watching the news. Yep. Because as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and as sure as we all wake up and get an opportunity in the day, there's going to be people out there that are making the most of it. Absolutely. And they're going to be making the most of it with the exact same things that are happening around them as a person that's consumed with what's on the news and all this garbage and nonsense. They just choose to drown out the noise. And I think that's what you do. I think that I think that you have an innate ability 
or a trained ability over time to, to drown out the noise. You embrace the suck, but you also drown out the noise. The stuff around you is you, just... You have to yeah. at certain points. Because if you don't, you get caught up in it, and that's very easy. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't concentrate on drowning out the noise, you can get caught in it. Um, I'm lucky that and very fortunate that I have a, a support network in, in my wife, Millie, that is the most positive person in the world. As long as you're within 300 miles in my key, you're good. <laughs> yeah. I really I miss you. <laughs> See, I mean, she really is. And, and she's been a huge help in, in that for me, uh, you know, since we've been together and, and married and raised our family. But, uh, you know, and it's like the whole be awesome thing. This is the greatest thing, I think, since sliced bread, dude. It's, you've had so many awesome guests, you know, on this podcast. And it's just, it's, it is cool to see everyday people yeah. come on and just talk about how they embrace the suck or make it through each day, you yeah. know, and the, and the things that they, because none of us have the answers to everything, right? Yeah. And we all can learn from someone else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things is that, um, there's always the, you know, it's always the person that's done something extraordinary that says we're all ordinary, Right. You know, it's like, hey, I'm just an ordinary person. You're all just ordinary, doing extraordinary and all that stuff. And, and, you know, the reality is, is that it's really hard to put into perspective. We talked, I talked to you about uh, Marcus Luttrell's podcast with the Army OD tech that he had on last week that she had both, she lost both her arms. If I listened to her, I would be inspired. I'd be amazed. But again, I couldn't imagine and put myself into that perspective. What I want to put into perspective with all of this is any single person listening to this podcast today that has the ability to listen, to learn, and to execute something different can make their day a little bit better. Yep. There's no excuse. Like there's no, you know, oh, well, I'm not in this situation. Like you said earlier, we put our pants on one leg at a time. Same way. So, you know... People can do better, be better, get better. They just have to want it. Yep. And they have to tell themselves. And it could be something as simple as not listening to the news. And and I think that's great advice. And I have to take it because I, I, I you're sitting here saying it, and I'm sitting here saying, man, I have I have been struggling lately because the news has been terrible. I mean, the, the synagogue shooting yesterday, yeah. the weather events that have just killed people, and 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 just amazing numbers with tornadoes and floods and everything else the the politic fighting everything i i get caught up in it i get consumed in it um it's very easy to get consumed. oh my god you forget about it forget about it it's 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 crazy um you know i i'm just uh i'm so appreciative for you to make this time this is this is great. I mean, you and I have had uh, you know countless hours and days and everything else of just us. But this is whether this is in your comfort zone or, or out of your comfort zone. I'd probably say a little bit out of your comfort zone. Oh yeah, it's out of my comfort zone. You popped my <laughs> podcast here today. Yeah, first, I've never done a podcast first, before. This podcast, is it. So. And you knocked it out of the park. All you listeners can feel free to judge me yeah. all you want. Yeah. You knocked it straight out of the park. I'm going to give you what's left of the vodka. Uh, and I'm not going to give you these meatballs because they're too damn delicious. Um, but, no, I appreciate the hell out of you. I love you, brother. I, I, I just, love you, too. I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for us 
to be where where we've had this opportunity to uh, to, to be where we're at. Yeah, me either. And uh, and it means the world to me. So um, we'll have an episode too. I got a feeling that people are going to be going. They're going to be like, "Why don't you get Dave and T off Facetime? Get them together. Get a couple more people that uh, that you've had on. Get in a room." With vodka, beer, meatballs, and any other number of things you got going on, and and and, and knock out a, a a a group a group pod, but um, no, I appreciate you. Let's let's enjoy a little bit more time, just you and me. I'm gonna wrap this podcast up. Anything you want to close with? I think you've covered. I mean, I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, you know, if any of your other guests that have been on this are listening, I've listened to a lot of the podcasts, and there's a lot of amazing stories. Uh, and lots of tidbits of things for me to pull into to for my own life. So thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for everything. You're you're quiet in social media other than on LinkedIn. So if anybody yes. wants to look you up, you are on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, yep. Jason Taylor. Jason Taylor. <laughs> you can find him. I'm connected to him. If you have a hard time, I'll put the two of you together. Um, but in the meantime, this has been um, an incredible day for me to be able to spend some time with a great friend, share his story. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, embrace the suck. And uh, it's a whole lot easier to do when you have some martinis and meatballs and great people around you. So uh, also, uh, thank you so much to those that are doing ratings and reviews. I know that I do this every single podcast. Many of you probably push stop and that's okay. For those of you that don't understand that the ratings and reviews that you provide on iTunes uh, dramatically impact and affect where I place in the standing. So if I'm doing a good job, you're sharing with the world that I'm doing a good job goes a very long way. If I'm doing a bad job, let me know or put it on the ratings and reviews. Just doing something is uh, is better than doing nothing. So uh, I also have uh, a couple of Sam Glenn books. I've got 72 coffee mugs coming in that are going to look for a home. Uh, if you want a shirt, just send me a message. Tell me which one of those three things you want. I'm not going to have any meatballs left. T just is running a train on one right now, so uh, I got to get my I got to get my popsicle stick in there while the uh, while the going's good. But uh, these things are good. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. Those are fantastic and they're huge. Uh, I don't know how we're doing it with these these toothpick looking things. But uh, you can find me, Josh at Be Awesome, Josh at B E A U S M dot com, www.beawesome.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm doing a whole bunch more on Instagram. Uh, and that's be awesome underscore Tika, T-E-E-T-K-A. Uh, and that's the essential elements to kick an ass in case anybody's wondering what it means under the uh, uh, the SM in my shirts. Shirts are for sale. We're going to be making a donation this week. Uh, thanks to uh, JM Pet Resort and a couple other sales. We're going to be making a donation for about 300 bucks over to them this weekend for their big annual uh, walkathon and 5k road race and in the meantime in order to be awesome you got to do awesome have a great week